gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Good morning, unless it's afternoon, in which case good afternoon. Uh, unless, of course, it's after six, in which case I wish you good evening. Until midnight when I say good morning. I think that about covers everything, and yet there's still more I can tell you today. This is the Tsar of Muscovy, and as you can tell from the pastoral sounds behind me, I'm out at my dacha today, waiting for the Mandarin and Volgi to come by for lunch, and a good old-fashioned game of three-way chess. Well, I'm sorry if you can't picture that, but it's really quite popular in higher dimensions. While I'm waiting, I've been thinking a bit about socialism. I'm sure you've heard of socialism. It's that trendy new form of government the millennials invented in 2014 that allows them to have all the iPhones and music downloads they want without having to actually show up to work. There are two interesting observations I have for modern fans of socialism. The first is quite simple. Since in a socialist world where everyone is truly equal, are you okay with not being in charge of anything? I ask this because every time a socialist lectures us on how perfect their ideas are, they always speak from a position of authority, as if they're the ones who are going to be in charge. In socialism, we will do this, and in socialism, we will do that. Except really, in socialism, will has nothing to do with it. You're speaking as if you're going to be giving the orders, or at least serving on the transition team. If your solutions are so perfect, there won't be any need for a transition team. You would actually want to be on the lowest end of the political hierarchy, for certain, because you would have the most benefits for the least amount of responsibility. See, a true socialist would not say that he or she will do this or will do that for society. He or she would really say they would do this or they would do that for all of us. And that's a simple test. When you hear a socialism advocate speaking as if he would be giving the orders, you can rest assured he's full of crap. Let's be blunt here, capitalism is the only economic system that lets you climb to the level of authority that you crave. So anytime a socialist says, I, instead of we, or especially they, you can bet he's posturing. It's almost a universal with socialists. They always think that they're the ones who will make the decisions. And if history's any guide, they will be the first to be thrown out. In socialism, bossiness doesn't fly. Right? You know, and that leads to me to my second observation about socialists, and this too is almost a universal. Ask any advocate of socialism if it's just an abstract theory or if it's politically viable in today's world. I mean, socialism is an increasing trend, right? It's a real working operational system in a lot of places, right? Of course, the socialists will agree. Then ask him, where in the world socialism has ever existed in which it didn't turn into a disastrous dictatorship? Well, then watch the definition of socialism change on the spot. What about Venezuela, you ask? No, they say that's not true socialism. Okay, well, what about North Korea? Well, that's a dictatorship. Fine. Well, how about Bangladesh, where everybody is starving? Oh, that's not a socialist country, they say. Until you point them to the Bangladeshi constitution, in which the 20th and 21st words declared a socialist society. Well, that's not real socialism. Nepal? Well, that's, that's Maoist. Okay, well, how about Libya? 
Um, well, that's not true socialism. And round and round you will go. Actually, it turns out there are more countries who have abandoned socialism entirely than there are countries who are socialist. And that's a fact. But here's the kicker I want to talk about today. Okay, the socialist wannabe says, I got four for you. Hmm? Yeah, well, what are they? Finland, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. <sighs> Allow the czar to be very clear with you today. Because interestingly, a lot of anti-socialists, like myself, often suffer under the belief that these four countries are socialist. They're not socialist. They're not even close. In fact, they're full-blown capitalist countries that happen to suffer under high taxation and a horribly bloated welfare system. Let's take Finland. Finland is not socialist. It is a parliamentary democracy. It's nakedly capitalist with privately owned industry, banks, and large companies owned by shareholders, not the government. It's also parliamentary, allowing for scores of political parties across a broad spectrum. Voters choose representatives who then make laws without a central planning committee. Also, its unemployment rate is 8%, which is unrealistically high for a socialist country, right? Moving over one country, Sweden allows private corporations to run schools. Yeah, private corporations, for which vouchers are paid for by the government so that anyone can attend them. It's also cutting welfare programs and reducing government-subsidized health care benefits. As you know, in a socialist country, health, education, and welfare are fully funded benefits. Well, Sweden appears to disagree, because it isn't socialist. It is highly taxed to pay for bloated government programs. You know, the average Swede pays more tax than the average American and is more likely to be unemployed. The average Swede's household debt is almost 200% of his personal income. Yikes, well, so much for income equality, it actually sounds like Sweden is a fully capitalist country. Well, because it is. And Norway is even more interesting because its unemployment rate and average income per person is equivalent to America's. But its government debt is 43% of its gross domestic product. Low taxes and high debt? Sounds more like American capitalism, but here's the kicker. Norway's government is bolstered by a trillion dollars worth of oil. And they're still in debt for a country a fraction the size of ours. Well, maybe that's because Norwegian law limits on how much investment the government can make in private industry. Rather than make a trillion dollars selling that oil, they formally limit how much involvement the government can have in private business. Yes, Norway's government owns almost a third of private businesses, but not all of it, only a third. And that's crazy high for America, but it isn't socialist. That's free market. Back in 2015, when the incredibly ill-informed Senator Bernie Sanders praised Denmark as an example of socialism in action, Danish Prime Minister Lars Rasmussen gave a speech at Harvard shortly thereafter in which he ridiculed Sanders for his inability to understand socialism. Here's Prime Minister Rasmussen himself. I know that uh, some people in, in the U.S. associate the Nordic model with some sort of socialism. Therefore, I would like to make one thing uh, clear. Uh, Denmark is uh, far from a socialist plant economy. Denmark is a market economy. I mean, if the Prime Minister of Denmark is stipulating, for the record, that his country rejects socialism, I'd say that's a pretty easy thing for an American to understand. But why would Sanders think so? Well, Denmark has a 25% sales tax. <laughs> and duties on cars are 180% of the sale price. The average Dane pays around 26% income tax and is crushed by an average debt of 310% of his income. So what's really going on here? 
I mean, the Tsar is happy to keep throwing percentages and dollar amounts at you, but I'm guessing, okay, you get it, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark are not socialist countries. They're capitalist countries with super high taxes. And as the audio from PM Rasmussen of Denmark makes clear, most people in those countries reject the idea they're socialist. So who keeps saying that they are? There are two sources for this load of utter crap. In the United Kingdom, it's the Labour Party. In the United States, it's the Democrat Party. And even they're a little queasy on the claim. You know, candidate Hillary Clinton made it quite clear that she thinks Nordic healthcare, education, and welfare are exemplary models of social justice. Even though their patient outcomes aren't as good as American medicine, school students rank about the same as American kids in general knowledge, and their welfare systems are crippling their gross domestic products. But no matter, she was convinced the Nordic model is brilliant, like her husband President Clinton did, who once complained that the Nordic countries offered a significantly better prospect of kids out-earning their parents. And that was true, especially then, under President Clinton's oppressive tax rates. President Obama once praised the Nordic system as well, saying that Nordic people are happier than Americans and less likely to be impoverished and offer women more opportunities. In fact, it seems that Democrats find the Nordic countries are better than America whenever a Democrat is president. And that might be true. But when rival candidate Bernie Sanders announced that Sweden was better than America, candidate Hillary Clinton defended America as being better in every way. I guess Democrats love Sweden until it starts costing them a primary. Here's what's at stake. Democrats and British labor love the Nordic model because they tax the hell out of their population and dump it all into the government social welfare systems. They can do this because they don't need to invest in other areas of government the way Americans do. I base this claim on some simple assumptions. Danes, Norwegians, Swedes, and Finns probably spend the same percentage of their tax on roads, research, and riverways, but not on their military. Danes spend only 1% of their gross domestic product on the military, which has trended steadily down over the last 50 years. Finland? Only 1.4%, but they're next to Russia, so they've kept that pretty steady over the decades. Sweden spends 1%, Norway spends 1.6% both of which have steadily decreased over the years. In fact, these countries spend less on their military today than they have since World War II ended. The United States spends 3.3%, but remember that our GDP is massive compared to those countries. So if you look at GDP per capita and then multiply that times those military spending per capita percentage rates, you see that Americans spend about four times what their Finnish, Swedish, and Danish friends pay and almost twice what their Norwegian pals pay. Now, this is because these four countries depend on the United States to protect them. With no clear and present danger to their sovereignty, America will watch out for them. And these countries rely on their military to be little more than a National Guard or a JV support team for the Americans. Which is too bad, really, because their militaries each contain some, some pretty badass people who fight incredibly hard. I've known a couple. They're tough. And it's just that their governments, with no real threats, no real challenges, no counter-incentive, would prefer to dump the rest of that money into their social welfare programs. And each of the countries will boast that their welfare programs are second to none. They'll also tell you, if you press them for details, that their welfare dependencies, you know, the people who subsist entirely off government spending programs and don't actually look for work because they're paid to stay home and sniff glue, are increasing annually. But that's exactly it. It isn't that Democrats or Labor believe that these four countries truly operate like some perfect SimCity formula. They just want the taxes increased for their pet programs. Don't misunderstand. 
People like the Clintons, Obama, and Sanders really do believe that Norwegians and Swedes, Danes and Finns live these really happy, efficient lives with clean birchwood homes and happily making Lego sets and relaxing on their Ikea furniture while enjoying high-speed internet, eager to pay huge amounts of taxes for that privilege. That's kind of what Democrats fantasize about, but it is just a fantasy. The life of the average Norwegian, Swede, Dane, and Finn is actually pretty hard. He's taxed heavily. Did I mention that sales taxes in Sweden are 26%? He's buried under debt by buying more on credit than his income can ever hope to pay. His unemployment level is higher because unions set entry-level pay rates that squeeze people out of entry-level jobs. And having to rely on public transportation because cars are basically unaffordable there. And except for Norway, the average skilled or professional worker will make less money than his American counterpart and get taxed more for it. That's right, less money in the pocket. In Norway, income is about the same, but as I said earlier, our Norwegian friend gets to keep less of it. His sales tax is also 25%, and the average income tax burden is twice what he'd pay in America. But income equality is higher in those countries. Yeah, except that doesn't translate to happiness. Income equality is a feel-good buzz phrase that doesn't mean much when everyone is equally underpaid. If you asked anyone from those four countries if they'd rather see more income or maintain income equality, they're going to take the money. But teachers are better paid there. Yes, but looking at student performance scores shows those countries, uh, they rank right about where American kids do in terms of reading math and science, which may be good news or not good news. But they have free health care. Well, not in Norway. I mean, only kids under 16 get free health care, as well as prenatal care for expectant moms. The rest of them have to pay exorbitant co-pays, as well as covering the costs for consumables, like bandages. And dental and vision are not included. Sweden, too, expects you to pay hundreds in co-pays, setting a cap on those that few Swedes ever achieve. And if you have special needs, the cap is raised to ensure you never reach it. In addition to that, Sweden has some of the longest wait times per patient anywhere in the world. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, uh, that's one, ranks Finnish healthcare as critically underfunded, with patients waiting days just to see a nurse, a nurse who might reject their request to see a doctor or allow them to wait two weeks to see a general practitioner. As a result, most Finns don't tell this to Barack Obama, quietly pay out of their own pockets to see private care professionals. Denmark? Their free health care isn't. Actually, you are billed 8% of your income right off the top, and this only covers rudimentary care. Vision, dental, any non-routine procedure or exam is costly, and prescription drugs are outrageously expensive. I could go on and on, but the point should be clear. For every purported benefit these countries offer their citizens, there is a tremendous downside to it. And yeah, there are some things that American tourists come back quite impressed with. The point isn't that these countries are horrible places. They're not. But neither are they socialist utopias. These countries are real places with real problems, and sometimes their solutions work okay, and sometimes they don't. But socialists in this country love to praise the things they think they understand, like health, education, and welfare, and utterly ignore the downsides they don't understand, like uh, health, education, and welfare. So when a socialist describes Finland, Norway, or Sweden, or Denmark as examples of working socialism, he doesn't just reveal how little he knows about these places, he actually reveals that he doesn't understand what socialism is either. What a surprise. So generally, American socialists fail these two tests. They never commit to wanting to actually live in their own utopias unless they're in charge, 
which, by the way, is how socialist countries eventually and always become dictatorships, and socialism proponents become commissars, they can't name a successful form of working socialism without changing the definition of socialism or relying on examples produced by pure fantasy. There's one other point I want to make. I beat up on millennials a lot about socialism, and there's a reason for that. The famous 2017 YouGov poll revealed that for all the generational cohorts out there, millennials least understood the differences between communism, socialism, capitalism, and fascism. They have a hard time telling them apart and don't really get all the differences between them. A lot of bad news came out of that poll, which showed that millennials actually seem to prefer socialism, think it's pretty hip, and would solve a lot of problems. But that poll and follow-up polls revealed that another critical revelation was that millennials least understand the differences between the different economic models. They can't tell a good theory from a bad theory. But check this out. A later Reason Roop poll showed that when millennials are secretly given examples of socialism, say, the government tells you what phone you can own because they own the phone, or restricts what website you can visit because they control internet access, well, millennials flip out and overwhelmingly oppose it. Similarly, when millennials with full-time jobs and benefits are asked about single-payer, you know they would much rather stick with their employer's current health insurance plan, thank you very much, higher taxes, and millennials are cool with that, until they hit incomes of $40,000 a year or higher. Then, not such a big fan. So don't be too worried that millennials are all socialists. They're not. They're just like Democrats in that they like easy answers to things they don't understand. They're only in favor of socialism until it kicks them straight in the crotch. Well, we're going to leave Scandinavia for today and take a short break to advertise one of our sponsors and then come back to talk about something that should be all Greek to you. Hi, this is the Tsar of Muscovy, and when I'm in the market for a new car, I like to go to Joey Suspetto's used car market right on Speculum Drive in Lang. Joey knows you don't like dealing with those weird internet car shopping sites, and you don't really know how much you're getting marked up by going to those price-you-see-is-price-you-pay dealerships. If you want old-fashioned, traditional, and familiar car buying, go see Joey. Here, one of his trained sales professionals will block your approach as soon as you set foot on the lot, listen to your preferences, and then let you test drive the most expensive vehicle he can find. After your test drive, he'll ask which of those luxuries you really want to give up and point out to you that even with 14% interest on a 90-month loan, those equate to just pennies more a day. Then he'll let you sit in his ice-cold office for 30 minutes before sending in the sales manager to find out what it will take you to purchase one of these luxury babies today, adding that there are two customers already putting down higher offers on the very car you looked at. And when you decide to agree to a higher monthly payment, they'll let you wait another 20 minutes before sending you to see the business manager, who will spend a full hour filling out paperwork, asking you to strongly consider rust-proofing the tires and buying a gallon of the car's exterior paint, because if you don't pay another $1,000 in service extras, well, you're basically someone who's Hitler and needs to be put down by wild dogs. Then I'll explain to you how the $300 per month payment that you wanted to pay is really only a little more at $450 a month for 180 months unless you want a lease, which means you need to plunk down a $6,000 down payment unless you want to trade in your pristine two-year-old Aston Martin Vanquish, which, let's be honest, is only worth $200 now because you got it in black, which is the least popular car color. Not to worry, because three hours later, you're the proud owner of a new car, except they have to find it on the lot now, even though you just test drove it, so it's another 30 minutes of waiting while they seemingly try to find it apparently in some other state and bring it to you cocoon and sticky protective film and plastic sheeting all over it that doesn't quite come off ever. 
at last you're in your new beauty except that you need to undergo 20 minutes of training on how to work the wipers and turning indicator because there's a checklist and the sales guy wants you to know that he's committed to your happiness until you drive off the lot and we'll never see or hear from him again. Joey Suspetto's Car Market because some things are just better the old way. This is the Tsar again, only now I'm back at the Castle Gormagon. And the Tsar is sick and tired of our podcasts focusing on all this entertaining banter and happy chat with minions who refuse to cater to our egos like we hoped for at the start of the season. And as a result, I've decided that you absolutely need to learn something useful as well as intellectual from one of these things. So in the remaining time we have together today, the Tsar is going to teach you the Greek alphabet. Even if you think you know it because you had three letters of it silkscreen on your only t-shirt in college, you really don't know all of it. So today I'm going to teach you all... 24 whatever uh, letters, including uppercase and lowercase. And we're going to be looking at the classical alphabet of the Koine era. Now, the Koine era generally ranges from 300 BC to 300 AD. And what's up? No. no. I don't know what any of that means. Nobody understands you, dude. Sorry, you, you listeners probably recognize Sleestack's voice. Anyway, he's. I don't know what he wants. I'm, I'm doing a podcast. No, put that down. Get your mouth off the mic. You're not doing a podcast because nobody out there understands you either, you freak. Yes, go away. Yes, leave. The hell. Anyway, sorry. Castle gets uh, a little busy at times. Anyway, I totally forgot what I was saying. Did I mention the Koine alphabet thing? Okay, well, look it up if I didn't. And I really don't. Okay, well, let's let's just get started. All right, well, the first letter is alpha, which was probably really pronounced alpa. Now this letter looks like our capital letter A, and in fact is how we get our word alphabet, because alpha is the first, what is it now? Now? You have to do this now. Why are you even, why are you even mopping the ceiling? Who mops the ceiling? Do it right. Okay, well I guess I, I guess I have to move because I picked this room because, all right, all right, all right. Don't put the, over my head. Hang on. Come on, get move. Okay, so now I'm moving from our recording booth. Wish he'd clean the bathrooms as much as he cleans this recording booth. Okay, let's uh, da, da, da. Yeah, let's try in here. Oh, <laughs> all right, that uh, that room is occupied. Uh, well, it looks like you folks are getting an audio tour of the castle here. Uh, it's a phone room. Well, that's funny because we don't have any phone in it. It's just a small room with a desk and a chair, so I guess this is actually perfect. Like down. Okay, here we go. Out. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Oh, feels better. Okay, so the first letter is alpha, which looks like our capital letter A. Uh, I mentioned alphabet, right? Be honest. Okay, good. Well, anyway, it's like our letter A, only pronounced ah, like in Bravo. Which isn't a Greek word, but Italian, so I don't know why I said it. But So remember that our capital alpha is like our A. Uh, beta is the next letter. Ah, Sar, ah. what are you doing here? I'm doing a podcast. Oh, okay, you go ahead. It's uh, it's my whipping boy and pathological rapscallion, Dad Ho. Why you say that to me? I didn't. I'm, I'm saying it to the listeners on the internet. The people want to know with whom I'm talking. What people? The people listening to my podcast. Hey, you want to sit in on this one? It's about the Greek alphabet. Koine alphabet? Yeah, exactly. Here, sit down. I'll, I'll, I'll teach it to you. No time. I have work to do. In here? Yes, but you go ahead. Do podcast. You no bother me. I just work here. I say nothing. 
okay, you're you sure I won't bother you? No, no bother and me. You're not going to talk and interrupt it because I'm running out of time. No, and... I tell you, I say nothing entire okay, time. Okay, great. Well, um, go ahead and do what you need to do in here. It's a little cramped, but, well, okay. Um, we just started talking about beta, the second letter, which looks exactly like our letter B. What, yeah, what are you, what are you Mr. doing? Mr. Pewter, tell me to what get you doing? me a phone room because we have no telephone. And he wants me to turn this into coat closet. And he asks Sleestack, but... He's stupid reptile man keeps screwing up measurements on simple DIY projects like this. So he asked me to gut room. I'm doing a podcast. I can't do the podcast if you're running a reciprocating saw in one hand and a drill in the other, which is really freaking dangerous, by the way. The saw's all as bigger than you are. I tell you, I say nothing and I say nothing. All the time, someone says dad ho to do something and you stupid czar tell me not to because that always in trouble with you and nothing that does is good enough for you and I hate you and I hate your beard and I hate the lice in your this beard and you smell right, really I'll bad find, like hobo I'll ass find another room. I... Now if I beat the hell out of that little punk on an open mic, people are going to complain because they just don't find physical abuse of children funny like they used to. That's no good. That's our elephant storage room, and the trampoline's going to be way too noisy for recording. Okay, here we go. Right, they meet on Mondays now. All right, we'll keep moving. I guess I could do the podcast while I'm walking. So the second letter is beta, which looks just like R, capital B, uh, although it was pronounced a little differently in the day, more like a Spanish B, like beta. And, uh, hey, Mandarin, what's up? Doing a podcast. Hello, children. Hello. Hey, uh, you want to help out? Going over the Greek alphabet today. Obey me. Obey me. Yeah. Obey me. Gotcha. See you at dinner. I don't know if that ever works for him. That's the archery range. Better not risk that. Beta, beta is the second. You know, I'm so screwed up with Dad Ho firing up that saw right next to my ear like that. I'm so flustered. I don't even know. Did I even start beta? I probably should start over. Here's a room. Hold on. I'm not even sure what room this is. Have I been in here before? It's a big empty room. Stone brick, single window. And what appears to be a big-ass stringed instrument in it. Well, anyway, there's a chair. So if I put the mic here, I feel like I should start all over. We're almost out of time. Okay, well, I guess I did alpha and beta, which are the first two letters. And anyway, they're flipping easy because they're R, A, and B, okay? So I, I want to move on because the next... Are you kidding me? Hey, what's up? Sorry, your awfulness. I did not mean to disturb you. Are you podcasting? Trying to, but having a hard time finding a quiet room. I thought this room... Apologies, Czar, but this is not a quiet room. This is the Guzhang room. It is? It's an ancient Chinese instrument, and I've taken to playing it on the little break time I have. I didn't... I... I didn't know. Well, okay, for you listeners, this is Dr. J's medical assistant, 21B. And he works pretty much continuously as Dr. J's medical assistant, you know, doing his laundry, changing channels, getting a Marcy Cola, that sort of stuff. And I need to practice, sir. And while I appreciate your presence generally, I am quite shy about performing in front of an audience because I'm somewhat bashful about my singing. Oh, okay, sure. So, well, I guess I'm on the move. So go ahead and sing. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't working at all like I hoped. Anyway, I think I'll head over to the other side of the castle. There's more rooms down on the first floor. I fell. Okay, let's cut through the bar. 
Oh, lots of you listeners should recognize this place. This is our bar. It's reserved for our castle guests. Pewter and I sometimes hang out here and talk to our minions. Although the Leaping Peacock is better entertainment. Hey, here's a couple of voices you should recognize. It's Bernie, Gilbert, and Scott. Oh, yeah, what's up, guys? Yeah, it is, it is, I know. Yeah. Now, you said that last week on Twitter. Twitter? Remember you said that last week on Twitter. Anyway, what's up, guys? Yeah, I know. I told them about that, but they're not going to... Oh, don't talk to her. God, don't talk to her. God, she's looking. Yeah, she's looking at you now. All right. Hey guys, I'm doing a podcast on the on the Greek Greek alphabet. I gotta go. Yeah, the coin A one, coin A. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Right, bye. God, those guys. Anyway, I was. Uh, oh yeah, uh, the, the leaping peacock. Way better entertainment. And here's what I'm talking about. Tonight's featured drunk. Listen. Yeah. Dwight David Eisenhower. More than the yeah, I know. Everybody thinks he's long dead, but a lot of former celebrities hang out here. Pewter! I can't tell him I'm doing a podcast because he tries to shoehorn into every one of them, and you can't get him to stop talking about bullshit. Okay, get out of the bar. And here's a room. <laughs> and that's a room where apparently one of us is uh, storing a wild hyena. So I don't remember if we got to Gamma, so I better pick this up with Beta. Beta is the second letter, and uh, have you guys seen our gift shop? Check this out. Check it out. Look at all the Hello Kitty stuff. There's a playhouse, tea set, chimney, chimney sweep kit, backpacks, pubic razors, new and used, playing cards with six aces in it. Oh, that's going to be a lot of fun on gambling night. Hey, here's an inscrutable Mandarin talking action figure. Oh, baby. That figures. Well, here's a video disc of our 1935 holiday party. Hey, check this out when you have some time. There's a great skit we do, but it's in 48K video. So, well, anyway, I'm, I'm not getting to the Greek alphabet, so I need to get to our business center. It's off the lobby, which almost nobody uses. But I bet I can get enough quiet in there to get this podcast done. Hey, what's up? It's uh, Inatef, our Egyptian mummy butler. Say hi. Yeah. No, uh, thank. well, thanks. No, I gotta run. I gotta run. Go tell Volgi. No, tell Volgi. If the kitchens are dirty, that's not me, okay? You tell Volgi, and he will get either Dad or Sleestack. Those two guys are looking for something to do anyway. No, I gotta go. Tell Volgi I'm going. Anyway, so there's our business center, and it looks like the lights are off, so I think we are a go for Greek. What? Hang on. Hang on. Uh, listeners, this is Ngapo, the Volgi's Yeti and right hand Yeti. Slow down. Are you okay? We are lisping. Well, then stop eating popcorn if you don't want the kernels. Look, is there a point to this? I. I did. I just talked to Inatef. No, I told him to talk to Volgi directly, not to ask you to do it. Well, no, that's a lie, and you can take it up with him. I'll take care of Dad, but he needs to talk to Volgi, okay? Okay, yes. I am. That's the one. No, I'm... I'm no, I'm doing the Koine alphabet. And, and I think I'm... No, I'm still doing beta. I'm on beta. Okay, bye. Bye. Oh, anyhow, 
Well, our, our business center isn't used much because most of our guests here are happy to get away from it all, and, and by that, I, that usually means law enforcement. And anyway, it only has a fax machine, and I guess nobody uses those anymore, which is great because we just bought this thing last year for like $300. Uh, you should, probably shouldn't ask what that was. Anyway, the business center seems a perfect place to do this. What are you doing in here? The lights are off. Cockroach hunting, huh? Well, anyway, I see we're out of time, so um, so that's the Greek alphabet, I guess. All right, Sleestack, go ahead, eat up. Hello, kitties.